Hello and welcome to episode 59 of the Witcher chapter by chapter book review, where I'll go through a summary of the latest chapter and give my detailed thoughts on it. Today I'm discussing chapters 1 through 4 of Season of Storms. Okay, well, we're on to the very final book of the Witcher series, so there's not that many of these episodes left. It's kind of sad, but that's how it goes so i won't dwell on it but i do want to start by saying that i'm going to be doing multiple chapters and i did mention this um it's fully established at this point though <laughs> i did mention this in a previous episode but i'm going to be doing multiple episodes at a time because these chapters are so short each podcast episode would end up being about five minutes long if i were to do one at a time so I'm not sure how many chapters we'll cover per episode. Like this one, one through four, it seemed like a good, like a good um, summer. Like, what am I trying to say? <laughs> it seemed like a good, um, like, like the end of chapter four seemed like a good place to stop. Um, so, for future episodes, I'm just gonna play it by ear based on what takes place in each chapter and try to find like a satisfying point to leave off on. So that's how this is gonna go uh, for the remainder of Season of Storms. So the next episode could cover two chapters, it could cover five, I'm not totally sure, but we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Uh, just another reminder, um, so I have never read this book. I know I've said that, but I just wanted to reiterate that because as I'm sure most of you know, I read all of the main series books before beginning this podcast, so I knew what was going to happen, which was actually kind of challenging in its own way because I had to avoid spoilers. And sometimes, you know, when I go off in these little tangents, it could be a bit tricky to avoid <laughs> spoilers. But this book is brand new to me, and therefore, I might sound like I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to this book as a whole. And that's because, well, I don't. So I, do, I, I have read a couple of chapters ahead. So I, I think I've read up to like chapter six or seven, maybe there's 19 in total, but I haven't read the whole book yet. I'm not even halfway through it. So I don't know how things are going to end. I don't know the entire story. So now that that stuff is out of the way, I'll give you the recap like I always do. Oh, the recap is very brief since we're starting an entirely new book. And then I'll give you the summary of the chapters that we're covering. And then I'll talk about the chapters in excruciating detail. Okay, so for the recap, in the last episode, we wrapped up the main series. But this book is a prequel or midquel. So Geralt is still alive. So everything that happened at the end has not yet happened. And uh, yeah, that's brief. I could probably add more, but I'm not going to. It's unnecessary. Okay, summary time. So in the country of Karak, Geralt killed a monster for pay and visited the country's capital city by the same name. Shortly after entering the city and handing over his weapons per the city's no weapon carrying rule, he got arrested for embezzlement. Actually, I'm not totally sure that that rule, the no weapon rule applies to everybody. It might just be um, out of towners. Either way, he had to hand over his weapons. Uh, Geralt spent four days in jail until he was released on bail. 
didn't mean to rhyme there. He returned to the guardhouse to retrieve his weapons, only to learn that they were gone. Someone else retrieved the weapons in his name. Dandelion, who happened to be in town, and Dandelion's cousin, Ferrant, 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 who knows? Uh, he's the head instigator. They find Geralt, and Ferrant agrees to conduct an investigation into Geralt's stolen swords. Dandelion explains to Geralt that the sorceress, Lyda Need, also known as Coral, I'll probably just call her Coral, uh, was the one responsible for Geralt's arrest as well as for bailing him out. A group of men try to attack Geralt on the street, but he defends himself using a stave from a nearby cooper shop. The men who attack him clearly knew Geralt was unarmed, which proves someone is trying to harm him, so he decides to visit the only person he could think of that could possibly be involved, the sorceress Coral. All right, well, of course, we'll begin the discussion with chapter one. So chapter one kicks off with a monster fight between Geralt and this insect-like monster called an eater, eider, I'm just gonna say eater, I'm not totally sure on the pronunciation. Y'all know by now, I'm, <laughs> I'm not good with the pronunciations in these books. But I love that the chapter starts out with a monster fight. I love the book starts out with a monster fight because the number one job of a witcher might forget, I <laughs> guess it's kind of easy to, um, it's for them to kill monsters. And it might be easy to forget that because we see so little of that throughout the series. Understandably so, of course. I mean, obviously if the book, all the these eight books were about nothing but this man killing monsters, that would be very repetitive and not very interesting. But what I'm saying is that it's nice that Sapkowski made a point to reintroduce the fundamentals. And there's even more revisited fundamentals within the next few chapters, but we'll get there. So the first sentence of the chapter is, it lived only to kill. And it's explained that this monster doesn't survive, or it doesn't kill to survive off of its prey. It doesn't kill so that it can eat its prey and then move on to the next. Um, some monsters won't even bother hunting um, their prey where the energy lost hunting is not compensated in the um, calorific value of its food. But this monster, its goal is to just kill. Well, there's a family there. It's this family consists of a man, a woman, and a little girl. And the eater is trying to kill them while Geralt is using them as bait so he can try and catch and destroy the eater. But this is a smart monster and it manages to trick Geralt. He thinks it's going for the little girl at first, but then it goes after the man and it violently kills him while his wife and daughter are present, which is pretty sad. It's a pretty messed up beginning, but it wouldn't be the Witcher without it. So the Eater tries to trick Geralt again, but Geralt, you know, he's Geralt, he's really good at what he does. So he manages to catch up with it and kill it. And then there's the sound of thunder in the distance. It says that the growing wind and darkening sky heralded an approaching storm. Seasons of sto Season of storms and approaching storm seems like a bit of foreshadowing. So now he's off to collect his reward and he visits the newly appointed district reeve albert smolka uh by the way since i haven't read this book before i don't know what or who is important in future chapters so i do apologize if i offer maybe too much detail on like a plot point or a character 
I just don't want to breeze over something that might be important later that I just, you know, at this moment, I don't know if it's going to come up again. It was easier to omit like the trifling characters and such when I was going through the main series since I knew their level of importance, but I have no clue here. So I might, I might talk too much about something that's not really that important, but I don't know. I just thought that I would mention this when I said that the guy's name was Albert Smolka because he seems pretty unimportant, but for all I know, he returns later and plays a big role. So that way we've established his name. But if I do skip over anything that I really did think was going to be unimportant and it comes up again later, I'll try to reference back to it in the best way possible. So this guy, Albert, he mostly treats Carol with respect and gratitude for killing the monster. Um, he mentions that it's killed countless people in the forest, so he's really happy that it won't be a problem anymore. And he asks Geralt if the woman and the girl thanked him for saving their lives. And Geralt thinks to himself that they didn't because they were unconscious. And Geralt will be gone before they wake up and realize that he used them as bait. And it's his fault that their husband slash father died. Because he thought that he would have been able to save all three of them. Um, he's, he's feeling kind of hard. Like He's being a little, maybe a little too hard on himself. I mean, the guy did die, but... Um, Geralt is usually really good at his job, <laughs> so I don't blame him for thinking that he was going to be able to save all three of them. But I don't know. Maybe he was. Maybe he was feeling like he shouldn't be using this nice little family as bait. But uh, that's that's what happened. So then it mentions that Geralt felt bad from the elixirs that he took during the fight. So we see him. Well, don't see him doing it, but we get uh, mentions of him taking his Witcher potions again. It's not really a big deal, but that's something that we saw a few times early in the series, and we don't see it again until now. So I liked that that was included. So Albert starts to show what could be described as an unusual amount of interest in Geralt's sword. He asks if it can if he can take a look, and Geralt says no, to which Albert says is because the sword is enchanted, and he says, oh, it must be dear. It's quite something. This may be important later. Uh, the interest in Geralt's sword is, uh, it, it's, it stands out for what's about to come, which I mentioned in the summary. His, his swords get stolen. Uh, so then... He goes to have Geralt sign the bill for his payment, but Geralt notices it's made out for 80 crowns when they agreed on 50. So it seems like a good thing. He's getting paid more than he thought he was going to, but Geralt probably knows it could come back to bite him later. Uh, Albert says that it's a bonus, though, so that he can show his thanks. But really, he gets some of that, Albert gets some of that bonus and Geralt would really only get an extra 10 crowns. So this guy was just trying to help himself out because he thinks state officials should be wealthy. And he, he even says that the wealthier the official, the greater the prestige to the state. I mean, who knows if that's true? Maybe it is, but it sounds more like a cop out to justify his greed. But that is that, and then the next section is not the next chapter, it's an interlude. And this is where we see Coral visiting Belohun, the king of Karak, and this is two days after the events of chapter one. It's established that Belohun is a first-generation king because his father, Osmic, named himself king after earning a lot of money from maritime trade, and the country still makes most of his money from seafare. 
Um, we also learn that Carrick borders Sidaris and Verdon. So we get a little bit of world building on this area that we've only heard two mentions of in previous books. By the way, that was Sword of Destiny, like the short story, Sword of Destiny, and Baptism of Fire. And they were really just mentions. Like, there's no information that was given to us on Karak in any of the previous books. So Coral is in town visiting. She comes here often, but she doesn't live here. And King Bellohan wanted to meet with her to discuss a specific matter. He's got his two sons, Xander and Egmund, present, who do not even try to hide their dislike of Coral. And Bellahun says that he's gotten word of the magic potions that Coral makes and provides to women that work to either terminate a pregnancy or are used as contraceptives. And he says that in Karak, uh, we find these kind of practices immoral. And she states that she thinks what a woman has a natural right to cannot be considered immoral. This isn't the first time that this topic has been brought up in the Witcher series. So Bellahun tries to tie his whole problem with it back to the good of the country. And he says that pregnant women and or women with children will stay at home and they won't get any foolish ideas. So then her husband will have peace of mind and can therefore work harder for the sake of increasing prosperity for his king. And he then won't have any thoughts of revolution it's all obviously ridiculous BS. He might truly believe this, but it really comes down to something more personal to him, and that's that he's soon marrying a young woman, and he doesn't want this young woman to go to Coral, or he doesn't want Coral providing anything like that, the contraceptives or the pregnancy termination, um, because he wants to have more children. He's really concerned about his succession, even though he's got eight children, but I don't think he, he doesn't seem to want any of those eight children to rule after him. So he wants, or he wants to have some backup kids, I guess, but either way, she tells him that the money she earns from this service contributes to the income of the chapter. We know what the chapter is. We heard a lot about that in the earlier on in the series. And um, this is, the chapter is an institution that would help him out in, um, like if, the, if there was a rebellion or if his kingdom were in trouble and he needed help. But she does agree that she won't provide this service to his new wife and the king is satisfied and he doesn't press the matter of her stopping her services altogether. So that's how you can tell that he really just didn't want her going to his new wife with this service. But before the interlude ends, she goes to provide Bellahun with information regarding embezzlement. Then the section cuts off before she says more, and we move on to chapter two. Well, chapter two begins with Geralt arriving within the city limits of Karak on his mare Roach. What other name would she have? He has to leave her in the stables before entering the city, and he pays for two days in advance. So... This is how we learn that he was not intending on spending more than two days in the city. We also don't know why he came to the city. It just talks about it as if it were an obligation, like he had something he had to do there. He's just going to go for a couple of days and then leave. But it never says, at least within the chapters that we're covering in, in this episode, exactly why he needed to go. 
So he enters the guardhouse where everyone needs to go before entering the city to be searched and to hand over any weapons. And this guardhouse is manned by a bunch of rough women who fart a lot. <laughs> the place reeks of farts and they just keep tooting the whole time that Geralt is in there. So as you can probably imagine, this is not the nicest of experiences that one could have, especially being welcomed into a city. Imagine going to a city for the first time and your very first impression of it is having like absolutely like being required to go somewhere where the employees are just constantly farting with no shame and you're just choking on the farts while you're in there. I, I don't think I'd want to go back to that city. Anyway, the commandant tells Geralt he has to hand over his swords and she has an old man called Gontrek take them to a safe deposit. And Geralt specifically asks that they will be returned to him upon the production of a docket that they're about to give him. And they confirm that that's correct. And he's very particular about this and turns out he had good reason to be concerned, but more on that momentarily. So he receives the docket and he makes his way out of the fart-filled guardhouse. And the first stop Geralt makes is at a nice tavern called the Natura Rerum Osteria. And he has a little trouble getting into this tavern at first. The guard there didn't think he was dressed up enough to enter. And Geralt was actually worried about this before getting denied because another man um, who was more dressed up than he was got escorted out by that same guard as Geralt was approaching. But the owner, uh, this man, his name is Phoebus Ravenga. He recognizes Geralt and tells the guard that Geralt is welcome to dine there and that he is very happy to have him as a guest. And this is a little bit sus. Geralt doesn't know this guy at all, which isn't totally odd in and of itself since Geralt is pretty famous, but the happiness that Phoebus expresses and the respect he has for Geralt's trade is weird. He says Geralt plies such an honest trade and goes on about the local monsters that he recently killed. And hey, I think that has he, there's nothing wrong with what Geralt does, but we know very well by now that a lot of people don't like witchers. Not everybody has a problem with them. We have met a lot of others throughout the story that like Geralt for who he is, but it's just, it's a bit strange. So I'm just going to keep this personally. This is what I'm going to do as someone who hasn't read the whole book yet. I'm keeping this guy in mind as a possible suspect or somehow related to Geralt's upcoming sword theft. So Geralt sits at a table and he can feel somebody observing him. And he looks and discovers that it's Quirrell, except he doesn't know who she is at this point. And she's also doing a very good job of making her observation discreet, but he can still tell since he's a witcher. Well, he places his order. He sees Quirrell looking directly at him and she smiles in a way that he interpreted as spiteful and then authorities show up and arrest him. So what was supposed to be a nice meal and a nice place turned into a humiliating experience. Well, that wraps up chapter two and we'll now move on to chapter three, four days later after Geralt had been in jail. So he's meeting with his 
court-appointed lawyer who suggests that he plead guilty to the crime he's being accused of, which is embezzlement. They're saying he corrupted others to inflate the fees on bills issued for his services. So this is about the extra fee he received for killing the eater, even though he pointed out the error and the district reeve insisted he take the money anyway. And I'm not totally sure if he really could be considered guilty because he did take that extra money or I, mean, I, I haven't recently brushed up on Carrick Law, so I don't know how that stuff works. Uh, but that was something that I was left feeling unsure about. It's like, is he actually technically, technically guilty though? Or I don't know. So something else I want to take a quick moment and point out is an inconsistency that is mentioned in this part of the chapter. There's a few paragraphs here that talk about sorcerers who fail out of Bannard and sorceresses who fail out of Aratusa and how those sorceresses become lawyers and Geralt's lawyer here in this scene must have attended Aratusa for some period of time. Like she tried to be a sorceress and failed, so she's you now a lawyer. But the inconsistency is where it says the Bannard Academy, like Aratusa, was located on the Isle of Thaned. And in previous books, Bannard is said to be located in Kedwin. It's Bannard is a city in Kedwin, and the school is also in Bannard. Bannard Academy is in Bannard. And in the time of contempt, it said that on Thana, there's Garstang, Loxia, Torlara, Aratusa. They never mentioned Bannard being there because it's not. Uh, so it's not a big deal. It's just something that I noticed and I wanted to mention, uh, but I did some research as nerds do and discovered that in the original Polish, it doesn't, does not say that Bannard is on Thaned. So this is actually a translation error. So even if it was Sapkowski's inconsistency, I wouldn't be that person that's like, I mean, I, I, I'd point it out, <laughs> but I'm not going to like shit talk him for it because I can't even imagine how difficult it must be to keep all of this stuff straight. Like eight books. That's a lot. I mean, I know he can always go back and reference little things, but I mean, it's, just, it's, he, he does a pretty fantastic job as it is. So like, I wouldn't even, um, like express any disrespect towards him for that, but Anyway, um, and I still, I mean, the people who translate it, it's like, it's, it's not a big deal. <laughs> anyway, it makes it seem more like a big deal the longer you talk about it. So maybe uh, that's why I'm just going to move on now. So Geralt doesn't agree with the lawyer's recommendation to plead guilty, but she doesn't seem to care. And they go to meet with the judge. And when they do that, the prosecution has no proof. He just tries to use typical witcher prejudices against Geralt. Now, this is what we're used to seeing. <laughs> the reaction we get from the prosecution is what is pretty normal. That's what Geralt's, I'm sure, used to being treated like. Not like Phoebus from the Natura Rerum who couldn't stop singing Geralt's praises. But Geralt doesn't take his lawyer's advice, and he tells the judge that he's innocent and has been accused on the basis of prejudice. But the judge sets bail at 500 Novigradian crowns and strikes the gavel, sending Geralt back to jail. Well, chapter four, the final chapter we'll be discussing today, begins with Geralt after he was bailed out by who he currently doesn't know. 
He figures it out. But at this point, he isn't sure. The guy who opened his cell and told him he's free to go was actually the same guy he saw getting booted from the tavern. And this guy wouldn't tell him who bailed him out. Well, to make a bad situation worse, the court refused to re return Geralt his personal items, saying they were to pay for court fees. So all that money that he just earned from the monster killing is gone. Just like that. And the cherry on top of the cake is when he returns to the guardhouse to retrieve his swords. He doesn't have the docket to get them back, which doesn't really matter anyway, because Gonchurik, the old guy that he handed the swords over to, tells him that his swords were already taken by somebody else. And I can just feel it, it mentions that Geralt is totally infuriated. I, I can feel it too as I'm reading this. My God. I can't even imagine how livid I would be. It's just like all on some BS. So in his very angered state by this news, he grips up Gonshurik and then the ladies, the farting ladies, they try to interfere. And then this leads to a brawl and Geralt starts fighting all the ladies at once. And he uses the Ard sign on two of them. So there's another thing we haven't seen in a long time, the Witcher signs. And I don't know if you remember this back in the very early episodes of this podcast when Geralt was using signs more frequently. I would always talk about it like way longer than I needed to because I just loved it. I, I don't know. I just, I think the Witcher signs... I, I like that it's like a minimal thing, like the magic that he has access to, that witchers have access to. It's just so limited because it just seems more manageable. And it also kind of makes it even more badass, like with the mages in this in these stories. Like they're uh like we don't really know everything that they can and can't do. Like that's a lot of it's just you know, you you can just use your imagination. It's not all spelled out for us. Um, so I like that there's like a list of um, the signs that the witchers can use. And I was really happy to see that that was brought back into the story again. So these were really tough women. Geralt's taken on multiple people at once before, and he did hold his own with these women, but it said that had it not been for the intervention, he would have suffered serious inju injuries. And the in this intervention was from Ferrant de Lettenhove, the instigator to the royal tribunal, also Dandelion's cousin, and Dandelion himself. It's crazy how often these do bump into each other, but I love that we get to see a familiar face. Um, yeah, because we only know Carol up to this point. There's no other characters that we've met before. So the ladies try to place the blame on Geralt and ask Gonshurik for backup on this blame placing, but he's dead in the corner. So um, his, I think they said his spleen ruptured or his gallbladder ruptured, I believe it was, and he had a heart attack uh, in all the commotion. Uh, so as it turns out, the guards were able to show a docket. Wow, I'm sorry. I just feel like I like brushed over this poor man's death so quickly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he did get Geralt's swords taken away, but I don't think that that means you shouldn't feel bad about him dying so suddenly and tragically. I'm so sorry, Rip Gonshurik. Anyway, the ladies try to, um, they provide a docket to um, the instigator to Ferron. Um, it's signed, Garland of Riblia, 
Um, so either the commandant woman, she's illiterate, or the person who stole the swords is illiterate. Um, but from here, the chapter cuts to Dandelion, Ferrant, and Geralt outside discussing his missing swords. And Ferrant says um, they'll begin an investigation, and those guilty of the theft will be brought to justice. Geralt's not totally convinced, and he tries to stress the importance of regaining his swords, and even creates a little fib about how they're protected by magic spells that will cause anyone using them, besides a witcher, to suffer permanent sexual enfeeblement. And Ferrant tells Geralt that because Dandelion vouches for him, he's certain the case will be satisfactorily solved, and he takes off. Then Dandelion reveals to Geralt that it was Coral who paid his bail, which is not understandable since it was her who got him locked up in the first place. And then Geralt talks about how bummed he is to not have his swords, especially since he doesn't feel confident that he'll get them back. And Dandelion tries to reassure him, saying um, that his cousin should be able um, to get to the bottom of it and suggest that he should just go and buy a new sword. And... Geralt is against doing the, um, or taking up on that recommendation of buying a new sword for the same reason that Dandelion wouldn't be willing to replace his loot with any old loot that he acquired in what we know um, was the Edge of the World short story from The Last Wish, uh, the loot that he received from Teruvial after she broke his first one. Maybe not his first one, the one that he had in the moment before <laughs> you get it. So Dandelion shows his understanding and then references what Geralt said about his swords trigger triggering impotence. And he says, damn it, Geralt, I've spent a lot of time around those swords and I've been having problems lately. It's <laughs> extremely hilarious because Geralt tells him that he made that up. He made up that part about the sexual enfeeblement, uh, hoping that that rumor would get back to the thief. So funny, freaking Dandelion. So while they're talking, three rough men approach Geralt and threaten him, making remarks about his loss of weaponry. So these guys might have either been involved in the theft or were maybe hired by the thief. They're aware that he doesn't have his swords. And Geralt fights them off and successfully defends himself using a stave that Dandelion had to quickly purchase from a nearby Cooper's shop. And once he's dealt with them, he makes the decision to visit Coral since she's the one who got him locked up and set free and his swords were taken during that time. So this is where the chapter ends and where we cut off book coverage for this episode. But we already know a little bit about what's going to happen because it was briefly talked about in Something More, the story Something More from Sword of Destiny. So... What we learned in book two is when Geralt read Coral's name on the monolith that included the names of the 14 sorcerers who died fighting Nilfgaard on Sodden Hill, he thought about how he knew her from when she denounced him to King Belohan, which landed him in jail for a week. So he visited her to find out why. It's where we just left off. And then it said, without still knowing why, he spent the next week in bed with her. So we know Geralt's about to go sleep with her and not get any answers on why she had him arrested. But yeah, talk about a callback. It's uh, something that was so briefly mentioned a while ago. And now it's 
part of this whole story. I think that's pretty cool. And we also know that Coral's going to die. I mean, I don't think, I would imagine it's not going to be within this book. I don't think that the Nilfgaardian war is going to really be that involved. I'd be surprised. It could be. I'd be surprised though, because it was such a big part of the main series that, uh, well, the second one was, but um, still, I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of um, conflict with Nilfgaard going on. I mean, we'll see. I doubt it. <laughs> okay. Closing thoughts. So far, I'm really liking this book. I like the reintroduction to the fundamental witcher practices. Like I talked about the signs, the elixirs, the monster fighting, and it'll be okay if it doesn't continue. I just thought it was, a, I thought it was great that he started out the book that way. And I'm really liking that there's a mystery that keeps you turning the pages with the want for answers, because I think, I mean, I don't, I'm not a writer, but I would think that when you write like a prequel or a midquel, that it could be challenging to keep, I don't know, maybe it's not, I'm not sure, but I would imagine it could be challenging to keep the reader engaged when they know what's like, what this character's like later story is. I don't know. I guess if you're a good writer, maybe it's not that hard. I, I'm, I just appreciate that it's intriguing is what I'm trying to say. Uh, looking ahead, just one thought here. I'm very excited to find out who took the swords and what exactly their motive could have been. At the moment, I don't really have any ideas of who or why. I mean, I'm keeping some suspects in mind, like Albert Smolka, because he mentioned a little too much about the swords. Uh, Phoebus Ravenga from the Natura Remasteria. They would probably be too easy, though, because, I mean, maybe not Phoebus so much, but Albert was talking about them, so I wonder if that was kind of meant to make us think that he was the sword thief since he showed unusual interest in them. But, yeah... I doubt it, but I am keeping them in mind. Okay, that's all I have for you. So just to let you know, in case you didn't, these episodes are available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for joining, and I'll catch you in the next episode. <laughs>